Will you have to upgrade your Apple car every year? All that and more on this tech edition of Industry Focus. Greetings fools, I am Sean O'Reilly with the one and only Nathan Hamilton who is back from his Thailand trip. Uh, joining you from very, 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 very cold Alexandria, Virginia, outside of Washington, D.C. at full headquarters. How are you, Nathan? I'm good. What do we got? Single digits today? <sighs> I mean, yeah, you're obviously factoring the wind chill or not, either way. Yeah, it's, either it's, way, it's uh, it's nothing compared to what I've seen in Thailand about a week ago. I definitely let my car warm up for about, I don't know, 15 minutes this morning. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so uh, first up, we wanted to talk about uh, uh, your trip to Asia, in particular how it gave you a newfound appreciation for everybody's favorite almost trillion-dollar company. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and almost um, more, yeah, a new appreciation for Apple. But also, it you know, I came away with a pretty important investing lesson, which I think is actually the more important thing from uh from my trip to you know i was in actually flew through japan different parts of thailand and so forth so i think there's really a lot to talk about with um you know what it means for uh shareholders and investors so a lot of uh, a big part of the uh, bear argument against apple is emerging markets and their positioning there because it's way more competitive over in say asia compared to here what did you see on the competitive side definitely see a lot of low-end <clears throat> low-end Android devices. I mean, it's expected. But I think the thing you have to look at is when you take into account the incomes in any of these emerging or developing markets, of course, at a steep discount to what anyone has in you know, a developing market. For example, the median income in the U.S. is approximately just above 40000 about $43,000 per year. China, that's ten k. Thailand, seven k. So when you look at it and you see the average selling price on an iPhone 6, which runs... 650 bucks all the well, way up to... Well, more than yeah. that, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, the base model iPhone 6 sells for um, 25,500 baht in Thailand. Now, most people don't know the baht conversion ratio. That's, uh, that's like a month's income, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> but that is approximately $780, whereas in the U.S., it's about 650 bucks. So putting it all together, you've got, okay... We know their lower incomes, and then we know that they're, the, the phones are priced at a premium to what they are in um, developing markets. And really, if you look at the investing takeaway for it, the implication is when an investor looks at the situation, there's a lot of bare arguments. Um, you know, Apple, can they keep the same ASP? You know, are there going to be pressures in the future? And when you look at it and see these incomes, you, the only assumption is, hey, how can they not the the only way they can go is up. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, looking at it this way, you know, how can the actual ASP maintain at a premium for Apple, knowing that the incomes are lower? But what you see on the ground in Asia, and for the people that have visited there, can see it in the last few years and so forth with Apple, but consumers are infatuated with American fashion, American products, and so forth. And my wife, who's from Thailand, that's the reason we went there, of course, um, she put it, you know, pretty succinctly, and she said, Thai people, Chinese people are all obsessed with American fashion and devices. Uh, yeah, don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure that the world's largest coach store is in Beijing for this it, reason. It very well they're may status be. symbols, and yeah. as long as Apple stays a status symbol, they're fine. Yeah, and, and that's a big thing about it. And if you look at, say, the price of Levi's jeans in Thailand and China, you know, it's at a huge premium to what they are in the U.S. And I look at it, okay, Levi's jeans, who cares? But... 
you know, it, it is a completely different market. So when you look at it as an investor, <clears throat> you hear the bare arguments from, you know, many on the, on the sell side or just investors in general, and they say, okay, the growth is coming in emerging markets for Apple and a lot of these companies, but how can they actually maintain those ASPs or the average selling price at such a premium when the incomes are considerably lower? Now, this has kept a lot of people on the sidelines from investing in Apple many times before. And what we're seeing in the most recent quarters is that's not necessarily the truth for Apple because there is that fascination with uh, the fashion and devices and so forth. And that really drives a lot of the sales in these countries. So China specifically, Apple in the most recent quarter, 90% of iPhone revenue growth came from China. And this is a market that has, as we saw before, much lower incomes than what would be expected in the US. So we really have to look at what the reality of the situation is. Because we look at it, you know, you and I were in the US, many other Apple investors and investors as a whole are in the US and they say, there's no way that Apple can maintain these sort of trajectories or maintain this growth. But in reality, that's not the case. And definitely when you're on the ground, when you see it for yourself, when you get beyond um, you know, what you see immediately in your existence or around you every day, you start to see that, okay, maybe these bare arguments aren't true, aren't so true. Maybe they don't hold as much water. Yeah. And it's just, uh, just a back envelope kind of a, a calculation there because the population in the United States is 350 million, but that's going to be the Chinese middle class here real <laughs> soon. And they all want an iPhone. So, and it's grown fast. I mean, if you look at the median income, medium, ho- median household income, in China, when you compare it suburban versus urban areas, it's actually growing faster in the suburban areas where a lot of, where there is a you know a big concentration of the population. So, no matter what, it's growing 10% plus for incomes. That's huge growth, and that's a um, you know look at it, it's a long-term tailwind. And this is uh, uh, actually being aided by China's 4G rollout. You were talking about yeah, China Mobile um, approximately approximately a year ago started rolling out 4G. And of course, Apple phone works out pretty well on 4G with many other devices and so forth. But I believe that is definitely part of the growth that we've seen for Apple in China. Um, We also have to look at it as well, all the other carriers and manufacturers. This is the first time, the first full year that we've seen Apple with China Mobile. And you can see that the company is seeing some huge benefits, huge tailwinds from it. So uh, when you were over in Thailand, you said that uh, uh, phablets are everywhere. They are, yeah, big phones. You know, everybody. The the big thing with taking pictures, yeah, like an iPad. <laughs> well, and I'm sure they're using it as their computer as well, and that's one of the yeah. reasons. Um, but uh, you know, one of the big things about the iPhone six was it's way bigger than the four and the five. Yep. Did Apple do what they did in making the iPhone six bigger because of chi- you know Asian demand? I don't know if it's specifically based upon based upon Asian demand, but I can say this. It's very heavily influenced. And, and, and I don't think that's really a surprise to many people that, that follow the company somewhat closely because um, for the last year or two, I'd say, consumers and investors have been calling on Apple, hey, why don't you guys release a bigger phone? Why don't you do it? You know, what's the reason you're not doing it? Oh, Steve Jobs wouldn't have done that. Like, but in reality, there is the demand there. Apple did finally come to the table and say, okay, we're going to bring out the 6. We're going to bring out the 6 Plus as well. And that's essentially what leads to the highest ASPs on record for Apple, 
which happened in the most recent quarter. So the demand's there. It's definitely happening in Asia. And uh, the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus are definitely the uh, the tailwinds. Is this why you didn't see any vibes over there? It is. Yeah, I was surprised. <laughs> and, and for people that watch our show or see the videos sometimes, you'll see me actually flash my iPhone 5C. I think I'm the only person with a 5C. You're the last person on Earth with a 5C. <laughs> yeah. but um, There's yeah. a Twilight Zone episode about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, if you look in Asia, I was expecting when I was going there, um, the assumption is, okay, you know, most people can only afford a lower price point phone. Um, it's going to be lower end Android devices, which you do see a good number of. But throughout my trip, about two and a half weeks there, beyond my phone, I only saw one other person with an iPhone 5C, but plenty of other people sporting iPhone 5s, 6s, and so forth. When you were over there, did, uh, did they take pictures of you with your iPhone 5C because <laughs> you were so rare? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so moving on, uh, this is actually a topic that we've talked about a couple of times before because it's so interesting and interesting and sparks the imagination. But uh, the FAA finally came out with some drone regulations, yeah. and uh, we have some thoughts on how that pertains to Amazon. Yeah, and you know, essentially, ever since Bezos got on, what was it, sixty Minutes, where he introduced? Oh yeah, we're working the, on drones. Totally, yeah, we're working yeah. on drones. And <laughs> we're going to deliver a five-pound object to your door within thirty minutes. You know, it, it does. It, it's something pretty enticing, I have to admit, and it would definitely be useful for me. And Bezos, in the interview, said, hey, we've got to see what's going to happen with the regulations. Unfortunately, the regulations that came out recently are not very positive. Um, if we look at the stipulations within or the verbiage for the actual regulations, I think there are two really important things to focus on. So specifically, it says... The unmanned aircraft must remain within visual line of sight of the operator or visual observer. That so, in and of itself sounds like a problem. To me. Yeah, so if you look at logistically speaking, you've got your house where you order up. You love to order diapers all the time. Wait, wait, wait. so <laughs> we're in the D.C. metro area here. Yep. Can the drone operator be at the top of a tall building and that counts? Well, who knows? There, I'm sure there's some, some uh, caveats to it. But, I mean, you've got your house and then you've got the distribution center. Obviously, there has to be line of sight between the two. Um, doesn't bode well for, for Amazon That's not right now. practical. The second thing, also not boding too well, drones may not operate over persons not directly involved with the operation of the device, and drones must stay close enough to the operator for the operator to be capable of seeing the aircraft without the aid of any corrective lens. So essentially, this means you can't hold your binoculars up. You can't. It, it has to be visible through regular eyesight. When I read this, I basically concluded that the FAA has cleared uh, 15-year-old children <laughs> to fly their drones in their backyards, and that was pretty exactly. much it. <laughs> yeah. But you, you have to really put this in context. So, okay, what's Bezos thinking when he sees this news? Is he really like, He's oh, glad I, I'm glad I set up my drone lab in Cambridge, England, and yeah. not in the United States. Yeah. But, I mean, looking at it, do you think Bezos is really sitting there and be like, hey, guys, we really gave it a hard try. Let's give up. I, I, I don't think that's no. the case at all because... You have to look at the history of technology, and anytime anything disruptive or, or kind of new, or um, you know, sometimes some people perceive drones to be scary because you know you've got the association with um, you know missiles and so forth, and you know all the terrorist sort of things. But and Skynet, don't forget Skynet. Exactly, Skynet. But you have to look at it, the history of any sort of innovation. For the most part, the tech companies or the public sector leads, and regulatory follows. So right now we're seeing, okay, Bezos come out. They're on their, I don't know, third, fourth, fifth iteration of drones at this point. Uh, it's not any, anywhere near 
market acceptance or market usability at this point, especially because of, of the regulations. But I was actually, uh, sorry to interrupt, I was just rereading um, uh, David Gardner, one of the Motley Fool's co-founders, long history of just loving Amazon and investing in it mm-hmm. and everything. And uh, it, it, this thing that I was reading mentioned how in 1997, Bezos did an interview and the uh, uh, the anchor just made fun of them just didn't, could not imagine a world where people would be comfortable using their credit cards online yeah surprise what are we oh doing my now? gosh and two years later jeff bezos is times man of the year yeah can't so, imagine a world where we have ebooks instead oh, of yeah, regular oh, yeah. publishing or reading our newspaper on an electron on a device <laughs> rather than flipping the page you know those are all things that have you know been mentioned before but ultimately i think it comes down to this if there is the benefit to the consumer for drones, for delivery drones, then regulatory agencies will shape an agenda, shape regulations to fit that within the model. And you, you have to look at it. You know, really, is there a benefit? I think there is a, a pretty strong argument. I would love it. I mean, how many times, you, you're a family man, how many times a week do you make random trips to the store for whatever sorts it of has gone necessities? It has gone up astronomically, particularly since we had a child. Yep. But also, you know, with the wife, we had one car and... Oh, Sean, we need Motrin. I got a call. I just multiple trips just up the road to Harris Teeter, and just it's for tiny little items that I spend five dollars on, but it takes thirty minutes. Now it's imagine, like, imagine if there's a drone that can cut those trips and say in half, or even completely replace those trips. Is that a huge benefit to you? Absolutely. Yep. So apply that to not only you, but you know, hundreds of millions. I don't know how many people are in the U.S., but uh, hundreds of million consumers, potentially globally, and, and so forth. That's a huge benefit to the economy, society as a whole. So I think there really is that consumer benefit. I don't think Bezos is saying, hey, guys, let's give up. You know, time to move on. But um, I think they're pushing ahead. This is definitely somewhat of a a headwind immediately. But I don't don't think it's something that's going to stop the trend altogether. For sure. Very cool. Well, before we leave, we have a little bit of trivia here. Yeah, we want to do something new. I I can't wait to... uh, uh, I can't wait for you to try to stump me. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we did want to try this new uh, uh, format just to give everybody a little something fun to uh, leave you all with. And uh, are you going to say the question or should I? You know, I'll propose the question. But more than anything, I think there's a lot of really cool tech history out there. And it's really fascinating to me. Hopefully our listeners will find it fascinating as well. Maybe there's some tech geeks out there that, that can sympathize with me. But, you know, I think it would be a good way just to teach a little bit about the history of tech and um, you know, just hit upon different news, anything that's going on. So we'll probably end our show with trivia from now on. Very cool. All right, hit me. So first one. What tech leader was born in the same year as Steve Jobs in 1955? So our choices are the man from Amazon himself, Jeff Bezos, Tim Cook's CEO of Apple, Bill Gates, of course, the Microsoft guy, and Larry Ellison of Oracle. Uh, I am sorry to say I actually knew the answer to this, <laughs> but uh, the answer is C, Bill Gates. You are 100% correct. But it, it's, it's interesting, interesting when you look at the history of that relationship and you know how Apple came to be and how Microsoft Windows came to be. When you look at it, Apple was the first company to come out with what they call a graphic user interface, which is what Windows is, which is what iOS is. You ever see that uh, made-for-TV movie, Pirates of Silicon Valley? Yep. I, yep. Th- I think about that every time, like the similarities between, ga- it's like arch nemesis kind of a thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, so looking at it, Apple essentially took the technology from Xerox. Xerox didn't want to commercialize it. They created the graphical user interface. Bill Gates and Steve Jobs were friends at the time in the early 80s. Bill Gates also saw the technology as well. 
Some argue that he stole it. Steve Jobs argues that he stole it. Bill Gates argues that he also saw it at Xerox and, you know, just essentially if he got eyes plagiarized, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but when it comes down to it, we can see who won the actual game. Um, Microsoft essentially licenses out to every manufacturer. Yeah, that game specifically. Microsoft, they just had different visions. Microsoft wanted to license it. Apple wanted to own the whole ecosystem and experience. So, you know, definitely a, an interesting fact to look at in history. Dun, Those dun, two dun. guys were born at the same year. Very, the similarities, well, actually, we should talk about this next time, but the similarities between their uh, education experiences and just early exposure to electronics and tech and everything. Yeah, Steve Jobs, big fan of LSD. Bill Gates, <sighs> big fan of Harvard, left it early. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, before we leave, I did want to make all of our listeners uh, aware of a special offer uh, for a subscription to Motley Fool's top-performing newsletter, Stock Advisor. Um, those of you that are joining us on Industry Focus today, just head over to focus.fool.com to check this offer out. Uh, that is it for us on this technology edition of Industry Focus. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! <laughs>